Welcome to another episode of Inside the Oval presented by Dignity Health. This week, I'm joined by the 49ers Executive Vice President and General Manager, Jim Mercurio. Jim, thank you for taking some time out of your incredibly busy schedule to come on this podcast. That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. First things first, what are your responsibilities as an Executive Vice President and General Manager? Well, I guess in a, in a nutshell, it's uh, ultimately responsible for maintaining, managing uh, Levi Stadium and all aspects of it, right? So when you look at uh, the different types of events that we have here, whether it's 49ers games or other non-NFL events, uh, ultimately responsible for that. And um, and then for the, for the physical part of it, the physical plant of it, the operation of the stadium itself, the ushers, the ticket takers, security, police, fire, uh, food and beverage operations, anything and everything really that has to take place with putting on an event at Levi Stadium and then, you know, cleaning it all back up and getting it ready for the next one. No small task. Hitting rewind a little bit, you earned a bachelor's degree in public relations with a minor in broadcasting and then a, bat- a master's in sport administration and management. When you were in school, what did you think you wanted to do? You know, it's a great question. I, you know, it's so far, it feels like it was so far long ago. But I think when I first started, uh, when I went to I went to the University of Pacific in Stockton, I got a baseball scholarship. So I was still playing and pitching up at that time. And so part of me says, you know, if I had, if I had it uh, and, I, and if I was talented enough, I'd been playing professional baseball. But you know, at some point in time, you you get the slap in the face and the reality that you you're, you're might have been okay, you might have been good, but you're not good enough. And so I had to pivot a little bit. Uh, and so I thought, whatever it was, I think I wanted it to be somehow, some way related to sports. Uh, but I really didn't know candidly um, until I did an internship, or, or I not really an internship, but took a class at the University of Pacific in sports and management. Uh, and I think that's when it probably triggered for me that I wanted to really be involved in sports. And then I was at the time I was working part time with the 49ers. And so it gave me that opportunity, that opportunity and insight to be around the game still. And I think that's when I started to really realize that whatever it was, I wanted it to be in sports. What has your path to the 49ers been? If you started part time while you were still in school, how did mm-hmm. that evolve? Well, it actually started when I was in high school. Uh, I was I was on a, a high school team at Oceana High School in Pacifica, uh, which was my hometown. And I had a friend of mine who was also on the team, but at the time he was a bat boy for the San Francisco Giants and the visiting side. And he had asked if I was interested in becoming a bat boy on a part-time basis. And what kid at 16, 17 years old uh, wouldn't want to be a you know a part a part of that, right? And so. That kind of then transitioned to working game days for the 49ers, catching punts and and uh, for setting up the locker rooms and the, the bags would come up the night or two before and we'd set up the locker room for the team. And and then I would pull up the net uh, once the game started, uh, so, the, so the, the net behind the end zones, right? And so the ball wouldn't go into the stands and then that would be my uh, part of my job. So there would be you know, that's how it really started. Uh, it all started for me. And that was in 1986, 1987, uh, until that time when I moved away to college uh, and started taking some coursework in stadium management. 
And that was kind of my, uh, how I got my foot in the door upstairs. I interviewed uh, in stadium operations. And so they say now the rest is history, 28 plus years later. It's funny listening to that because Angie was on the podcast recently and she had started out as an usher and kind of worked her way up and has someone who has kind of done a lot of roles within the 49ers game day. Do you think that helps you in like knowing what everyone should be doing and what works well now? Yeah, I cherish every every moment of it because I, I could tell you that I have a perspective of every job, almost every job in the stadium I've done at one point in time in my life, right? Whether it was at Candlestick Park or or at, at the University of Pacific when I was working in, in, in that role. But I've, I've been a security guard that stood post out in the furthest parking lot uh, at Candlestick Park. And I've, and I've wore the usher's jacket. I wore the security jacket. I've cleaned the facility. Um, I've, I've done most of those jobs that, that uh, I'm ultimately responsible for the people that do them today. And it does give me a little bit of an insight of, of what we're expecting and asking of people. And it does give me the perspective that I think allows me to, to stay grounded in, in my ear to the, to the floor to understand what some of those challenges are. Sometimes they're, they're a little bit more exciting. And you think that uh, the job that people are doing is maybe not as important, but every one of them are. And I can, I can stitch them together to understand how and why I, a successful game day is important. And it does really start out from the driveway to driveway experience for our fans. So when, when somebody comes, comes to Levi Stadium, for example, for the first time and the first touch point is a traffic officer or a cashier at, at the parking gate, it's really important that we establish that opportunity to, to make that game day experience special for them. And so I remember what it's like. I also remember having to be a security guard and security wand, uh, you know, a thousand or 2000 people in a day and bending up and down over and down and how taxing that can sometimes be that we just take some of that stuff for granted. So all of those jobs that I've done in the past allowed me to kind of put in some policies and procedures to protect them a little bit more and be a little bit more mindful of what they're going through on a long game day. So, yeah, I think it's pretty valuable. And I, I actually do appreciate uh, even sometimes still today putting on the jacket and then experiencing it um, 28 years later uh, when I walk around the stadium wearing an usher's jacket or uh, sometimes I'll put a security jacket. It's been a while since I've done that. <laughs> I think maybe, maybe maybe this year I'll do that again. I've done 20-ish episodes of this podcast, and I found that people are pretty split 50-50 on having an advanced degree, whether that's a JD or a master's. Beyond the experience that you had coming into this role, do you think that for someone who wants your job, the master's was an important part of your career path? Well, I would certainly encourage it. <clears throat> I don't know that I that I think that it's absolutely critical, um, but I do encourage it. I think there's a combination. What schooling does, it certainly did for me, was it allowed me to open up my way of thinking, and it, it trained me to be trained. And so, when whenever whatever job you get on, or you be whatever position you you ultimately take, um, I think that's where you're going to get a lot of the on the job training. There's no question about it. The, the master's degree or the advanced degree certainly helps with the bigger picture, uh, I think, and being able to understand the importance of that. It's not that you couldn't get that without a degree, but I do think it, it, it does provide you know, a little bit more perspective than you know, when someone that might not otherwise have it. 
but but I'm I'm split here, even uh, talking and thinking about it with you. But I do think that it doesn't hurt. Let me put it that way. I think that's what most people have said. They've been like, I'm very grateful for having it, but also I have coworkers who don't have one. So it is an interesting conundrum. Yeah, and who are equally, if not even more, successful. So it it doesn't mean that you 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 wouldn't be able to be successful. But but again, it's. It's almost, uh, not to get biblical here, it's almost like praying. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> it exactly. Doesn't hurt. <laughs> it hurt to every now and again uh, say a few prayers. During your tenure with the 49ers, for me, I think a major part of that was the team's transition from Candlestick to Levi's. What was that whole process like? <laughs> well, now it's it's so it's almost a blur to be candid with you. Um, I can remember... Uh, you know, holding an office in a trailer down here in the Great America parking lot where the, where the building was, was being, uh, you know, all the underground work was, was starting, uh, going back and forth, trying to close down Candlestick in our operation up there, right? Um, but I think what it, 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 it allowed us to do is, is kind of celebrate the great things that we had and did at Candlestick, but it really was a great opportunity for us to say, what can we do differently in a newer building? Uh, a lot of times at Candlestick, we had to engineer, engineer ways of trying to get things done without many or any resources whatsoever. It was an older building. It, you were you were kind of landlocked a bit <clears throat> and, and you couldn't, you had to do the best you could with what you had. And so now when we went to Levi Stadium, we had an opportunity to correct a lot of those things not just operationally, but for the guest experience, for example, how can we and what can we do to focus on to really make their experience better? And so that that transition allowed us to kind of really think outside the box of what we had and uh, and, and what we're going to have at Levi Stadium and uh, what we can do better with it. So but I'll tell you, it, it, it seems like forever ago that that transaction or that transition took place already for me. When you talk about making the experience better, when you go to other stadiums or even just think about um, advancing Levi's stadium experience, how much of that is collaboration with other stadiums, other groups, or is it kind of an internal think tank? Well, we do try to use as many uh, opportunities to get better. And so and when you can collaborate with folks within the industry, within the NFL, with other uh, colleagues at other leagues, we try to do that. We, I've always thought that, you know, we should be leaving the, the, comp- the competition to the guys and gals that are playing on the field or on the court or in the, on the baseball diamond or wherever it is, whatever the competition is, let that competition kind of stay with the athletes. And the operators and venue managers should, should not. We shouldn't be um, competitive. I mean, it's kind of fun to... to to do a few jabs and back and forth in there, but I think collaboration is just going to make it. It's going to make it so much better of an experience for your employees, for your customers, and so um, I really do encourage collaboration there. If you look at it on a personal level, uh, it's where I struggle because I can't go to an event, I can't go to a concert, uh, I can't go to another game of baseball without scanning the crowd to make sure that, oh my God, that, that security guard shouldn't be doing that. And that usher shouldn't be <laughs> there. And gosh, I really wish that food and beverage person would do that. And that parking attendant should do this and it would make it better. 
And so I can't turn it off sometimes. And so it drives my wife and my family a little crazy because I don't get to enjoy the event as much as I probably should. But that type of experience, when you're in it, uh, in this business, I think tends to stick with you in that regard. But I really do look at trade organizations to try to share our knowledge and to kind of help with what we've learned and, and others are doing that with us too. So I think it advances, uh, you know, great best practices for, for the industry. And I think it's a great thing. When last year that we didn't have fans in the stadium, how much of that was a learn learning process of just having things come at you? Or was there a collaboration there between the other stadiums who were also going fanless? Yeah, we had, we had, it was hard. I'm going to tell you, it was probably one of the hardest seasons. And like I said, this is my 20th, 28th year with the full time, full time with the 49ers over 30 plus part-time and full-time. And it, this was no doubt the most difficult year um, to open the facility, do a game with no fans. It just felt hollow the, the rules and regulations were being developed and, and protocols and procedures were being changed almost daily. And it wasn't because people weren't trying to do well or do great things, but there was just so many moving parts to it. We didn't know much about the pandemic and we didn't understand the impacts of it as much as we might now. The rules and, and uh, getting 32 teams uh, to agree to and players to agree and the Players Association to agree and all these different protocols still had to be developed and then implemented. And then once you got that, then you've got the state and the county and the cities uh, and each one of our um, prospective teams or, or locales. And, and, and they, were, they were not all the same. And so it was so difficult. Um, but we had daily and weekly calls with our colleagues to try to understand, hey, what are you doing out there in Philly? Or what are you doing in Atlanta and in uh, New York and Arizona? And so we were very much uh, in tune with with all of those, not only in the in the NFL, but with Major League Baseball, with the NBA, with college sports as well. So um, from that perspective, it was very, very valuable to have those types of folks in your corner. But I will tell you, it, it wasn't easy. It was very difficult. And then then once you open the building, it just felt empty. It just felt like the life was kind of sucked out of you. And so. Yeah, we not only did we feel it, but I'm I'm just more than certain that the players and the coaches miss it um, more so um, because it helps them. I, I think that, you know when the stadium comes alive, there's just this, there's just an unbelievable amount of energy that um, that the players actually draw upon. Coaches too. We luckily are kind of putting that season behind us, and the 49ers announced that they're opening the stadium stadium up to fans in 2021 what goes into making sure the stadium is ready for fans after a year or not having an event since the nfc championship game yeah so you know i'll start with the basics i think a very very deep clean of this facility you know it hasn't been used as it would normally be and when you have a, a regular cadence you're able to kind of keep the building fully operational and and you know, it, it needs to be, um, it needs to be used, you know, and I, I mean, I can get down to the granule of the toilets need to be flushed. The, the windows need to be washed. The concourses like that, the, the seats, the entire stadium itself need to be just really scrubbed and hosed down. So we start with there. And then you look into any of the updated signage that has to be 
uh, changed because policies and procedures have, have changed. The muscle memory of how the building operates has to be retaught and relearned. And that's, that's with the 3,500 plus game day employees to understand where to enter and how. So you have to recommunicate. It's almost like opening the stadium again for the first time because it's been almost two years where people have come in. So you're, you're having to reteach and uh, recommunicate what it is you expect your employees to do. And then you move on to the fans, right? You have to reteach and reeducate what it is that we're expecting them to do and the rules and regulations that they have to follow and the protocols that they might not be as in tuned in because they've not been here for the two years, right? So all of that stuff, you can't just say, let's just do what we did in 2019 because there's a lot of people here that don't remember what we did in 2019 and some of whom are just not even here anymore, right? So you have to just reteach, reeducate, remind and then you have to do it with a little compassion. You got to do it with a little patience, recognizing that there's likely going to be some anxiety for people to come back to work who haven't been back to work for a while. And there's going to be the anxiety levels of the fans that haven't engaged with each other for a while. They're craving it. They're excited for it. There's no doubt about it. They're telling us that. But the reality is when they, when they get here, you know, there's going to be some things that we have to be mindful about. And so their behavior is going to be one of them. And you're seeing in the news a lot more today, not just in, in venues or stadiums, but you're seeing it on airlines and air flights and people are where they're congregating and they haven't been congregating for a while. So we'll pay a lot of attention to that and we'll stress consideration and ask people to be mindful of what mom and dad taught us years and years ago. It'd just be nice, right? Um, and to be respectful. And so those are all things that we'll will constantly work and instill upon our employees and our customers as we open the doors. It's it just one of those things where we'll have some bugs and you got to work at them and you got to flush out some systems. But I, one thing I could tell you is that we've got a dedicated group of individuals that not only work for me here, but that work for the 49ers that really do care about the experience that we deliver to our customers and, and to our faithful. And so um, that's almost, you know, half the battle sometimes is just making sure that you've got the right people in the right places doing the right things. And that's one thing that I think I'm probably most proud about is the people that we have working for, for this organization. Certainly I'm biased to the folks that work for me in stadium operations and engineering and guest services and security and, you know, all of those kind of uh, department logistics. I mean, those are the guys and gals that get the least amount of credit for the work that they do, because a lot of times it's behind the scenes and people take for granted that work that a lot of these folks do. And not on purpose. It's just that, you know, if it's not seen, it's not heard, it's it's not being done, but it's quite the contrary. And so I think with the, the folks that we got here, they're tired. They've been working their tails off. We opened up that vaccination center and had 350,000 people come through the doors of Levi Stadium. And all of those folks that I, I mentioned had a heavy hand in, in making sure that we were successful there. And now moving straight into the season without any break is going to take a toll on them a little bit. But I trust them and and so thankful for them and their efforts that they're going to pull it off like we always do. Speaking of the vaccination center, not only is it amazing because it was the largest mass vaccination center in California, but Levi Stadium also opened as a polling place in the November election. What was that like opening the stadium in a pandemic when nothing else was open, the team was away in Arizona. How did you yeah. guys kind of do that? You know, I, I, I've said this a handful of times now, and 
and again, I, I hearken back to when I first started and all the different types of events I've either been a part of or managed over the course of my career. And I, I don't know that there's any that are more important than the two you just mentioned. I mean, opening up a polling station uh, is such a huge part of our democracy, right? And so, and then when you're looking at the the health and safety of our customers and our our community and our and our employees and ourselves, and being having such a uh, playing such a uh, even a small part to that, just so we didn't we weren't putting the, the the we didn't develop the vaccine, right? We didn't put the vaccine ourselves in the arms, but we did all of the other stuff around it to support it so it could, and it could happen. And so I look at that and say, those are probably some of the more uh, impactful events that I've ever got to be a part of in, in our lives. And, and, and I look back to, to, to that, and I'm very thankful uh, to the York family who, uh, and, to, and to our management team, Al Guido, and those guys didn't even flinch when it said, hey, we got to do something for our community. I mean, it's just boom, they went right in and just said, let's let's make let's go do this. And so having leadership like that um, is important um, when you're looking at types of community events like like the vaccination and certainly, you know, the polling station. But again, I, I don't think there's any other events more more impactful uh, on the community than those ones that we've done just recently. I'm very proud to be a part of it. We we talked about getting fans back in the stadium. Something I'm curious about as an employee of the 49ers was how was the process of getting employees back? Because we've also been out since March of last year. Sure. Um, look, I look at our employees very much like I do our customers. They're just internal customers, right? And And they have needs and desires and concerns and anxiety as well. And so I think as a as a leadership team, we really, you know, did a, a very good job of trying to communicate. I think our HR department did a fantastic job of of communicating uh, to our to our internal customers, our employees um, during this pandemic, and and it wasn't easy to bring them back because, you know, it's sometimes you know, you also got to remember your numbers fluctuate. People have moved on, and and. Uh, so just trying to get all the different departments to kind of work together. We had some musical chairs. I know on the 200 level, it got a little uh, a little crazy trying to move uh, move people in and around the building out of 4949 with some stuff that we're doing over there. But, um, you know, you got to reteach. You got to remind everybody, look, we got to get new credentials for the season. We got to get your badge access reallocated uh, and uh, we're going to change the entrance a little bit because some of the of the work that's going across the street and, and the related development. And so parking will change a little bit. And so all those little things, those we got to pay attention to details and trying to get all that together um, so that you minimize the number of questions that have to be asked so that they feel comfortable with the fact that we've got your back and, and we're looking after your safety and security and your well-being. Um, and I'm, I'm real proud of the effort that we did there. It was, you know, it was a slow start getting people back. We're going to look on ways on how we can work together with our with our employees. Some of them still working from home at times, but um, having the flexibility that I think it's important to be successful in their jobs uh, is important to them too. And I think you know, having the, the ability to recognize that importance was helpful to them. Yeah, definitely. Going back to the people who matter, the faithful, when the stadium opens back up. A huge part of that is going to be the part-time or game day staff. I know you guys have had two 
job fairs. How has that been going? If people want to get involved, can they still? We did. We'll probably still continue to have them uh, throughout the season. And absolutely, yes, you can still get involved. And we encourage you to go to 49ers.com backslash employment. And there's so many different opportunities that the 49ers have on game day, not only again for 49er events, but for non-NFL events, soccer, concerts, and all that stuff. I think 2022 will be a little bit more busy for the for the live events that I speak of. But I absolutely encourage people to come come out, come on out and and uh, and, and register and, and apply. We could certainly use uh, great people. We're always looking for great people. And uh, that's a constant effort, by the way, right? We're, we don't just stop recruiting. But because, you know, we were out of, out of commission for a bit, we can certainly use a little bit more of a boost uh, in the number of game day staffing that we have. But we get some great partners that have working hard to, uh, to open up this facility. But yeah, if you're interested, come work for us. We, we're looking for good, talented, strong, uh, like-minded people. I feel like you might be the only person who knows this. How many staff does it take to run a game day? You got me nervous there when you, when you said that. So, you know, look, and I think ultimately speaking on a full scale event, there could be over 3,500 game day employees. Um, when you look at food and beverage, you look at operations and security and guest services, ushers, ticket takers, parking attendants, police, fire, medical when you break all that down, there are 3,500 people that you're trying to get um, on the same page and to beat to the same drum. And so uh, that means there's 3,500 different types of personalities and 3,500 different needs. And, and so sometimes, you know, orchestrating that uh, can be a challenge. But yeah, I, I think when you look at, uh, you know, 70,000 seat facility, uh, you need you need that many people to provide the level of service that we're looking to provide to these folks. And then when you look at what we're doing new this year with our uh, food and beverage all-inclusive program, um, you know, it, 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 it may take a few more than that. So we're really excited about it. Um, and But like I said, we're always looking for good people. Speaking of game days, for you, what is your game day routine? Do you, when do you get to the stadium and when are you able to leave? Well, it, it, I, I have a bit of a routine and I got to be careful here because sometimes there's people, you know, scouting to see where I'm at and <laughs> as I do my undercover. So I don't want to let out all my trade secrets, but I mean, I could start as early as, you know, sometimes at six, seven o'clock in the morning on game day and I'll start on the outside where I'll drive around all the different parking lots and the streets uh, just to make sure that the outside operations from the night before, if I'm really candid with you, it really starts the night before. I, I do a, I do a, an internal walkthrough with members of my team, usually Nelson Ferreira and Craig Graber and I, Julian Sochti, will all walk the stadium together. And, and then what I've recently found is that they've got a few scouts out in front of the walk making sure that the things that I'm, I'm looking for are picked up and pallets are moved out of the way and chairs and, you know, all the different things that I'm saying, hey, the stadium's got to be open and ready. So they, they've kind of tried to dupe me a few times as I'm doing the walkthrough to make sure that, you know, all the things that they know I'm looking for are already picked up and ready to go. But when I move on to game day, it's, you know, I do the outside draw first and, and walk around and make sure all the gates and people are cone patterns are in place and do that sort of thing. 
And then I go inside and, and uh, I'll hit a couple briefings uh, with our playmakers. We call all of our game day employees playmakers. So all the supervisors and managers of food and beverage and Levy and Landmark Security Company and uh, ABM from the janitorial company, Fanatics from our merchandise, all the folks that have a game day responsibility, we'll all meet with with our team of, of managers and Nelson and Craig and Angie and Julian, all those folks who ultimately oversee some of those folks. Uh, we'll have a last minute rundown of the, the timeline and the game day uh, notes that we circulate to everybody. And then I'll move into briefings with the police department. Oftentimes I'll do a briefing at nine or 10 o'clock in the morning with, with that group. I'll go back to the security briefing and then we'll open gates, you know, on a normal day, one o'clock kickoff at 11 o'clock and I'll move up to the command post and, uh, and then I'll walk the stadium uh, throughout the remainder, remainder of the day. I'm usually two hours after game time, uh, after the end of the game would be as the earliest that I would typically leave. Um, yeah, so it becomes a little bit of a day. Yeah. Do you, does your <laughs> schedule change based on opponent, or is it pretty common that regardless of game day, you have you have a schedule? Yeah, the opponent doesn't so much matter as much. I mean, we'll do that in what we call a, a threat assessment. We do a threat assessment of the grounds in the game, a security threat assessment. Um, and it, it sounds scarier than it is, but it just gives us an understanding of what we think, you know, some of the challenges might be associated with that particular game day. There are some things that fluctuate because of the opponent or because it's at night or if it's on a different day of the week. Um, but it also matters based on weather conditions and things of that nature. Right. So, um, it, but it doesn't really change all that much from the standpoint of my schedule. Right. I, I, I think, uh, regardless of who we're playing and we're having 70,000 people in the game, the gate's going to open at the same time. The kickoff is going to be at the same time. And so it really doesn't matter who we're playing as much um, in terms of, you know, how my schedule might change. How does a threat assessment change based off demographics? So going outside of a 49ers game, having a Taylor Swift concert versus WWE matchup. Yeah, I think so. What you'll look at the different types of, of, of the demographic. So for a you know, it used to be when Taylor Swift was uh, much younger, you'd have a certainly you'd have a much younger crowd, and so you might have elements of uh, concern with with um, parents dropping off uh, teens and younger people. Uh, so you'd be a little bit more mindful that there there could be some issues there. You know, the alcohol consumption sometimes plays a role in that threat assessment. You know, when you look at a WWE event, you know, sometimes the emotions can kind of get uh, a little uh, rambunctious. But to be candid with you, the WWE event here was probably one of the funnest events that we've worked and one of the most well-behaved crowds, I think, that we've ever had. So, you you know, our threat assessment at the time could be, okay, are we going to get some of these folks that get overly excited and want to grab a chair and smack it over there? you know, over the head of their fellow patron or something. And none of that actually took place, but you were prepared for that. You, you, you start to look at those types of things. And so when you're doing those threat assessments, those are some of the, the items that we might pay attention to. That's what everyone said. I wasn't here for WWE yet, but everyone has been like, that was my favorite event the stadium has had. I could literally tell you there was a time where we were about 15 minutes from opening the gates 
And we had barricades in front of the stairs so that when it was time to let them into the stadium, we actually pulled the, the, the barricades away 15 minutes early and said, don't you pass that line. And that crowd held there until we said, okay, go ahead and cross that line. And they were so well behaved. They were a very excited group of people. But if I would have said that uh, in any other event, I don't think we would have got quite uh, the response that we did from these folks. So I was very, very pleased and proud of the behavior of folks at the WWE event. And boy, it was uh, it was electric that night, for sure. I thought we'd finish off with a lightning round of a couple of your favorite moments, memories from 28 plus seasons. <laughs> okay. Do you have a favorite thing about your job? Uh, unequivocally, the people that I work with. No question. And then favorite thing about the organization? How they treat the people. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm really, and I don't mean to get emotional about it, but I, if I was in the position that they were, uh, I would hope that I would respond the way that they have and the way they treat our, our, our staff, especially during these past couple of years. Uh, it was a very difficult year. And I, I, I just absolutely appreciate the leadership and the York family uh, for what they did for us during this time and for what they've always done over the course of time of working with them. I think they're, I think they're some of the greatest owners in professional sports. Absolutely. I concur for my five seasons. <laughs> Is there something about Levi stadium that you know that not a lot of other people do? Um, there's probably more in this, and maybe perhaps there's some I probably shouldn't share, but um, I don't <laughs> I kind of say that tongue in cheek. How about this? There's a, there is a farm. Uh, this is probably one of the only facilities I know that has a farm and a jail in the same, <laughs> in the same, uh, <laughs> in the same uh, space or in the stadium, I should say. <laughs> I mean, that's that's quite a dichotomy of spaces. <laughs> right, right. For someone who wants to work in sports, do you have, I'm sure you get hit up all the time on LinkedIn, email. Do you have a number one piece of advice you share? Um, you know, I think, you know, this might be a little bit of old school here and pardon me for that, but I, I'm, I am a fan of starting at the entry level and not being afraid to stay the course. Um, I do believe in the work ethic of, of getting in early and staying late if you must, but yet, you know, be, be proficient and efficient. Don't just stay late because you want to be seen because you're staying late. I mean, put in your time, put in your effort, and people are going to pay attention to your work ethic as a result of that. And so it may not be that, you know, your end of your, your career path is uh, in stadium operations, for example. It may you may want to be in marketing or you may want to be in legal or you may want to be in human relations or human resources. I, it, it almost doesn't matter sometimes where you start and it's how you get there and how, and where you finish. And I think so oftentimes I have seen people, you know, start in marketing and end up here or vice versa. And they learned, they learned their calling. Um, and so I think that's a, if you really truly want to be in professional sports, don't be afraid to start. And I don't like to say it at the bottom, but, don't be afraid to start somewhere, uh, even if it's not where you think you're, you want to be uh, to begin with. And be and be present, you know, and really don't just assume and, 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 and don't, don't be one of those folks that says that, you know, I deserve this. Because I think 
when you when you get caught up in what you what you think you deserve, you you don't pay attention to what what you really need to do, and and that is, you know, put your time in and make the effort. Final question. It's the one I ask everyone. It's my favorite one. Every job posting has that ominous other duties as assigned bullet point at the bottom that they hope you don't read. <laughs> Have you ever done something with the 49ers that you didn't expect to do in your role? Hmm. Well, it's certainly not a, not a negative. Uh, it's a positive. I don't, I didn't think that when I first started in 1994 on the, on the full-time side, um, I did every large scale event there was uh, in the NFL, right? That we did a, so I didn't expect to do an American bowl game and travel to Tokyo, Japan to advance the team. So that was certainly, you know, here I was in stadium operations and the next thing I know I'm, I'm on a plane uh, printing up business cards with English and, and Japanese on it, learning some Japanese customs and being prepared to, to welcome the team uh, and do the advanced trip uh, in August uh, and, a, and a couple other times during that year uh, to prepare them to fly from San Francisco to Japan. And then certainly to do the same thing when we went to Mexico and to London and to some of those other uh trips along the way. So that's probably uh, certainly not ominous. I can tell you that much, uh, but it wasn't expected to do that. Uh, now it is, you know, and that, and then certainly for the Super Bowl, right? So when we go to the Super Bowl, that becomes one of my uh, other responsibilities is to, to really take uh, some of the lead on, on getting our, our families and friends and hotels and air, airlines and all of the different stuff associated with, uh, getting there. So it, it wasn't necessarily expected at the time. It is kind of now, and I'm looking forward to it and can only hope that this time next year, we're, we're, we're celebrating the efforts that the team and coaching staff have brought us back to the Super Bowl. Hopefully, I would love to do that again. Yeah, and what a perfect way to end with that on a high note, everyone fingers crossed. But Jim, Indeed. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. I know you're really busy, so it means a lot that you were on here to speak about your role and fans coming back. Well, I certainly appreciate it, and uh, thanks for doing this, and it was fun. I absolutely enjoyed it.